You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist Woolless Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting today's program. Just uh, in the introduction, just like to remind people, uh, in Melbourne, we are still in stage four lockdown. I'm not able to broadcast from the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, which is the station which uh, usually broadcasts the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network across Australia. So this is basically a four-way link-up. There's uh, myself, Community Radio 3CR, the Community Radio Network, and uh, you listening to the program. Whether you're listening to a podcast, whether you're listening to on the World Wide Web, 3cr.org.au, or whether you're listening to this live on your local community radio station. So if there are any technical issues, my apologies, but that's the price we pay to broadcast on the smell of an oily rag during this uh, COVID-19 period. Look, I'd just like to start off with, I know you're bored out of your brains of COVID-19, but I'd just like to start off with uh, a COVID-19 update because there has been some interesting research which has uh, come out, which I think explains a lot of things which were a little bit uh, a little bit in the dark. And it was actually conducted by the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organisation, Australia's very own CSIRO. And it basically confirm what people have been suspected for a long time, that this is a virus that uh, likes low humidity and low temperatures. And the work they did demonstrated that the lower the humidity, the lower the temperature, the longer the virus was able to survive on surfaces. And that, to a significant degree, explains why it is such a major issue in uh, abattoirs and uh, distribution centres which have uh, refrigerated uh, networks because the virus can survive from anywhere from 14 to 28 days in such an environment. It also explains the second and the third wave in Europe and uh, the United States of America as winter grips the uh, those areas and it also explains to a significant degree why it was so difficult to um, keep a lid on it in, in Australia during winter. So I think it's uh, important research. I think it's important that we, uh, we we share it because I think what's important is that we have a few bit of facts and figures when we look at uh, anything, especially something like a pandemic, and I think it exp- uh, fills in a lot of the holes that uh, we had. So congratulations to CSIRO. Now, if you wonder what Annie about, no, it's not about looking at uh, scientific papers, although that's part of it, obviously, because obviously we 
take a look at everything. But an anarchist society is a society without rulers, from the Greek anarchos, which means without rulers, but a society without rules. It's a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Very simply, inequalities in power and wealth. The greater the inequalities in power and wealth, the greater uh, minorities have control over majorities. So the anarchist struggle is a simple struggle. It's the struggle to share power, that's devolve power, uh, sometimes through direct democratic means, and it's the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. So if you're involved in any of these struggles, it doesn't matter what you call yourself, uh, ultimately you are an anarchist because you are struggling for a society without rulers. Now I'd like to uh, continue after the COVID-19 update with another uh, disorder. That's right, a neurological degenerative disorder. Now you all know about neurological degenerative disorders. It's a a particularly uh, nasty autoimmune uh, disease uh, which basically robs people of the power to move and to think. Uh, and it's a horrific disease to which there's obviously no known cure. And I'd like to equate the Murdoch Empire with a neurological degenerative disorder. Now, I noticed that uh, Mr Rudd, feeling a little bit of a relevance deprivation, uh, is trying to get a, a petition up to hold a Royal Commission into uh, the Murdoch uh, Empire and a media diversity in Australia. I noticed that all the major political parties have run 1,600 miles away from Mr Rudd as he uh, pursues his uh, little vendetta against the Murdoch Empire. But I think Rudd has re-raised issues that I've been raising personally for over 50 years and issues that other activists have been raising for generations before uh, I was born. And that's the fact that the Murdoch Empire has a particularly nasty hold on the people of this country, especially the people of Queensland. Now, Queensland is a one-newspaper state. I was born in Brisbane. I know what it was like to grow up in Queensland in the 50s and 60s and the early 70s before I was forced to leave. I know what it's like to live in a state where there is only one idea. Now, people say to me, well, we've got social media, we've got alternative ideas, we've got community radio, we actually have, uh, you know, we have community radio stations, corporate-owned radio stations, the government gilded ABC. I mean, there are many sources of information in this, uh, in this planet. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And uh, Rudd raised an issue, which I've been raising now for a decade. The question is, why does Murdoch continue to invest in the Australian and national newspaper? And why does he invest, continue to invest in the legacy media in this country if the legacy media has no political impact? You need to remember that Murdoch is about Murdoch. He's about consolidating his power around the world. And it was quite interesting to see James Murdoch, his eldest son, I think his eldest son, walk away from the group because they obscure facts. Anybody who reads the legacy media or watches Foxtel, and if you do watch Foxtel, I suggest you uh, uh, have some urgent psychiatric intervention and maybe you should uh, admit yourself to a 
psychological unit. But that's another story. But the thing is that it's the same story. It's the same ideas. It's the same people. And if you live in Queensland, all the way from the Caloundra right up to the tip of Cape York, it's the same people. Let's not forget that when the Iraq invasion occurred, uh, Murdoch's 169 of Murdoch's papers supported the invasion editorially, and uh, the editor of the uh, paper in New Guinea was forced to change his tune the next day because it actually didn't support the invasion. So what it is is we've, you've got this constant drip effect, this constant torture every day, every minute of the day, every second of the day, and the legacy media is still important in this country and around the world because the legacy media, that is the paper media, continues to set the political, the social, the cultural community agenda every day. Because if you watch television, if you go on social media, if you listen to radio, you will find that the the topic of debate is the topic which is raised in the legacy media that morning. Because in an era where uh, the number of reporters and uh, presenters have been uh, greatly reduced in order to maximise profits, the information which provides the basis for the analysis and the discussion of the day comes from the legacy media. And if you live in a state like Queensland, which is dominated by the Liberal National Party federally, you will find it's the same people telling you the same stuff day after day after day. Then it's repeated in the radio networks. It's repeated on the television networks. It becomes the issue of the day on social media. And that's why it is so important that we break down the power that the uh, about four players, three players have in this country in terms of ideas. And if you think the Australian Broadcasting Corporation has provided alternatives, it may have provided viable alternatives in the past, but what we've seen over the last four decades is a concerted effort to destroy the independence of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to dumb down the programs and all you've got to do is listen to local radio or watch television to understand how far that has gone. And this has been reinforced by governments which have starved the Australian Broadcasting Corporation of resources. But more importantly, it's been reinforced by the appointment of bureaucrats within the Australian Broadcasting Corporation whose basic task is to maintain the status quo. And that's why you don't hear alternative views or different views on the Australian Broadcasting today. Because most presenters... Most editorial staff are there on short-term contracts, and if they buck the system, that short-term contract is not reviewed, renewed. That is the nature of the game. So legacy media continues to have a profound impact on discussion, policy, laws in this country. And all you've got to do is look at the Foxtel Empire and the dramatic effect it has in US politics, you will realise that when James Murdoch walked away a few months ago from the family empire, he walked away because he understood how dangerous 
obscuring reality is. And if there's one thing the Murdoch empire is is good at, it's obscuring reality. It's about diverting attention from major issues, whether it's climate emergency, growing inequality, and the list goes on and on. And I can understand uh, orthodox political leaders in this country running a mile when anybody talks about breaking down the monopoly of Murdoch and the other major players in this country as far as the legacy media is concerned because it is political death in this country. Because if you think that the parliamentary agenda is set by the political parties. The parliamentary agenda has never been set by the political parties. It has been set by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, and most importantly of all, communication. And if you are fed the same garbage day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, decade in and decade out, you will rot. And that's what we see, and that's why I equate the Murdoch Empire and the other media empires in this country and overseas as a neurological degenerative disease because not only does it destroy the mind because it doesn't allow us to look at a whole variety of ideas, it destroys the body. It destroys the capacity for people to act because it creates cynicism within the population, a cynicism, a cynicism which is based on the idea that change is impossible. There is no other way. Now, no other way has become the mantra of that small section of society. And if you think media is not important, I'll give you an example. In 1854, there were five newspapers in Ballarat, five. Four of them supported the Eureka miners during the Eureka Rebellion. They supported them while they were awaiting trial. They created the pressure in Victoria in order to radicalise the agenda. And within 12 months of the Eureka Rebellion, the major leaders of the rebellion had been pardoned, had been acquitted by juries and were members of parliament. Could you imagine that happening today? And it happened because of the media. And if Layla was the sword of the Eureka Rebellion, Henry Seacombe, who we never hear about, was the, was the pen. He was the radical voice behind the rebellion. And it was that diversity of opinion among a population of less than 30,000 which allowed those ideas about equality, those ideas encapsulated in the Eureka Oath, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties to percolate through the community, to encourage the community to take up arms in order to liberate themselves from the unpleasant inequalities which they had to face with on a day-to-day basis. If it wasn't for the independent newspapers in 1854, Nothing would have changed, and nothing will change in Australia. Now, you're listening to this radio program, The Anarchist World This Week, by the Community Radio Network. Do you know what the history of community radio is in this country? Well, during the much-maligned Whitlam Labor government 
uh, between, I think it was 72 and 75, during the much maligned period, they created the community radio network in an attempt to give the community the ability to articulate ideas that were never heard in the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent in the government-gelded Australian Broadcasting Corporation. The Whitlam Labor government understood the importance of an alternative news source. And almost 50 years later, community radio continues to play a significant role in this country because ideas that are bandied about, that are spoken about, that are discussed, that are put up into the into the stratosphere come through the community radio network. And if you are listening to this program, not via just a podcast, but via a community radio station, you'll understand how important community radio is to as an antidote to the neurological degenerative disease which the Murdoch Empire is as far as independent thinking and more importantly, independent action in this country. So if you think the legacy media doesn't matter anymore because of social media, think of this little equation, which I'll repeat again. Every morning on every radio station, whether it's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation or a privately owned station, on every television network, on most community radio stations, on a great deal of social media, the topic for the debate of the day is what was raised in the legacy media that morning. And that is what gives it its power, its ability to influence social issues, its ability to issue to influence economic issues, its ability to influence political issues. And with the Murdoch Empire, Mr Murdoch and his crew is only interested in one thing, maximising profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national harm. And until those organisations are broken down into the sum of their parts, we will continue to find ourselves in this situation. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting uh, today's uh, program. Let's move on. It looks like the Australian Council of Trade Unions has finally woken up from its slumber. It was good to see a few of the uh, leading lights in the ACTU put up their hands in the last 24 hours and say... This so-called negotiations with the government and the uh, business community is all about removing removing hard-won conditions and dropping wages. Although only 40, 14, that's right, 14, 14% of Australian workers are now in the union, the ACTU still has a little bit of clout. And to see them involved in negotiations with the Morrison-led Liberal National Party and the business sector uh, regarding uh, changes to uh, 
that most people on workers' compensation, especially those on long-term workers' compensation, fear the workers' compensation authority more than they actually fear the employers who put them in that situation because of the nature of the schemes and how the schemes have been structured in such a way as to uh, always, always support the insurance companies which provide the insurance to companies uh, regarding workers. And it's quite... We've had a Royal Commission's... They've told us how bad the situation is. And unless more people join unions or form new unions and collectively bargain, we will continue to see the deterioration of workers' compensation schemes to such a degree that we have bureaucrats in these organisations who determine what, how workers will be treated, not medical staff, but bureaucrats. And that's what we've seen on a daily basis. And you may find it uh, strange that a bureaucrat can actually override a doctor's uh, um, suggestions or order regarding people who are on workers' compensation. So it is a huge issue. It is an extensive issue. It's becoming more and more apparent that deunionisation has basically meant that uh, workers are disposable. They don't matter. They're just disposable and they don't matter. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I've noticed that um, things are changing as far as fiscal, you like that word? Fiscal policy and monetary policy is concerned. And that the COVID-19 crisis has done one thing. It's uh, driving a stake in the heart of uh, that vampire Milton Friedman, uh, whose uh, ideas have dominated economic activity around the planet for the last four decades. And I've also noticed over the last... uh, you know, when, when we had the financial crisis in 2018, which was created by the central banks, and we felt that uh, you know reform was needed, and uh, unfortunately we saw no reform, and we saw the same players being rewarded in the same way, and we saw the rise and rise of central banks and how important they became as far as the economies of nation states were concerned and as far as the introduction of a structural adjustment program, which is a fancy name for a changing societies, you know, to suit their money-making efforts. And we saw the rise and rise of the central banks and the position they played. And as we saw people create funny money and give it to the central banks to then give it to other banks to lend to people, we saw the increase of uh, debt around the world, not debt, just individual debt, but debt for uh, nation states and how these central banks had such a hold on so-called sovereign independent nation states. Well, something interesting has happened. You may not have picked up over the last uh, year or since uh, March this year. Because of the economic crisis caused by the shutdown of business in order to try to contain the damage done by COVID-19, We've seen the role of the central banks has been subverted by governments. 
We've seen sovereign nation states realise that you need to cut out the middleman in order to keep the economy afloat. And what we've seen is direct grants to individuals through JobKeeper. What we've seen is the doubling of JobSeeker, although it's beginning to decrease now. What we've seen is government support for our business loans. So we've seen all this direct stimulation which goes directly to the individual. The central banks have been bypassed. The concept of debt being a problem has been pushed aside because national debt is not necessarily a problem. And what we are seeing is a transfer of power from the central banks who have been saying for decades that governments need to get out of the way of business back into the hands of governments which are giving direct support to some members of their community, significant members of their community. This is an, I think this is an important change because what it means is that they've cut out the middleman, they've cut out the middlewoman. We no longer need these financial institutions to control economic future. We no longer need our livelihoods and our lives and the lives of our children and grandchildren to be dictated by the central bank's ability to provide credit to so-called sovereign nation states. We've already seen the idea of sovereign nation states creating their own money and divesting themselves of the assistance of central banks. So what it's done is it's raised a lot of important issues as far as finances are concerned and what that means for people. That's right. Because ultimately, theoretically, in a democratic society, that uh, the government is there to serve the people. Although that uh, idea has been subverted over decades, this is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, if you're interested in those, in these ideas, are you interested in a political party that uh, wants to go in a different direction, it's not afraid of the Murdoch Empire, that doesn't count out to any corporation that uh, is willing to uh, put out independent ideas and uh, work independently, well, I encourage you to look at the website of Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, download an application form, join uh, public interest before corporate interest, and before you know it, we'll be registered as a federal political party. Now, if, you, if you're internet savvy, there's a few things you can do. You can go to the public interest before corporate interest YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. You can go to um, Instagram, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I-A-U-S. You can get the anarchist world this week through the Instagram. You can uh, go to uh, a number of websites, my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. You can go to the podcast, 3cr.org.au. Uh, it just goes on and on. Lots of stuff out there. You can go to the Anarchist Media to the Tube website, anarchistmedia.org. It goes on and on. But uh, all these sites are really useless when you think about it. And because unless uh, huge numbers of people actually access the site, think about the ideas and incorporate them into their uh, lives, uh, change uh, doesn't happen. 
and uh, irrespective of what they tell you, that uh, we live in a free society, that everybody is able to articulate the ideas. The fact is that uh, we live in a society where the ideas that are articulated on a daily basis are those which support the status quo, are those which support that small section of society that are the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication, uh, and the list goes on and on. So I don't have to tell you that. You know that. I'm interested in this concept of the public service. And historically, the public service has been there to implement government policy and serve the public. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. And I'm interested in the current inquiry into the um, quarantine, hotel quarantine uh, disaster in Victoria and the second wave of COVID-19. And it's fascinating to see how everybody's running away saying, I wasn't responsible, I wasn't responsible, I wasn't responsible, I've resigned, but I wasn't responsible for... Uh, and how the lines of communication have kind of been blurred. Now, look, I'm not looking for individual scapegoats like the uh, opposition is in uh, Victoria. It's not a matter of individual scapegoats. This is a matter of a transformation over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, a revolution that we've uh, survived. This is a matter of the nature of the public service being transformed from an instrument which implements government policy and interacts with the public, the many, to an instrument which acts as a channel via which treasury funds are pumped into the private sector. So the whole corporate, the whole memory, the institutional memory of the public service has been turned around. And the fact that private security guards were appointed to look after hotel quarantine, and most of them subcontracted after subcontracted, is not a surprise because the public service memory is about finding people in the private sector, organisations in the private sector, to do the work that the public service used to do. That's why it's taken so long to recreate institutions within the public service that can actually deal with the COVID-19 crisis. What we've seen is the centralisation of power in a diminished public service where staff have been, to a significant degree, privatised, whose major function is to find private corporations and private companies to deliver public services. And with that type of culture, obviously... Everybody, every politician, every bureaucrat, every senior bureaucrat, every junior bureaucrat would have been looking at the private sector to provide the service because that is the culture of the public, a culture of a privatised public service. 
let's look at what's happened over the years. We've seen, you know, people talk about a public health system. Well, in Victoria, large segments of the public health system have been privatised. Now, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle a week ago in Victoria because there were uh, private security guards still being employed in quarantine hotels. Although we're not taking people from overseas, there are people who can't quarantine at home who need to be quarantined in hotels. And I noticed there's the Justice Department, uh, the Alfred Group, and uh, there was uh, one or two private corporations involved in providing those services. Let's not forget that the Alfred Group, which is one of the largest public hospital sectors in Victoria, is partially privatised. That every cleaner, every cook, every wards person, and many of the uh, uh, pathology services are run by private companies within the public health sector. We see it with private prisons in Victoria. We see it with the privatisation of the public housing sector with the so-called community social affordable housing sector, which is a sector which is based on privatisation of public housing, whether it's for profit or not for profit, it doesn't really matter. We've seen that become the norm. And when we people talk about social housing, when the trade unions talk about social housing and the need to construct social housing and community housing, they're not talking about public housing. They're talking about private organisations running and managing that sector. And this is what we see in every aspect of every aspect of society. For example. You may not know this, but the county court in Victoria is not owned by the uh, Victorian government. It is owned by a private corporation, and the Victorian government leases the county court. You may not be aware of the number of people who are now involved in privatised public services. We've seen it with Centrelink. We saw it in the good old days when... uh, you know, the provision of jobs was a government-appointed business. But today, the private sector, and we see large religious organisations making billions of dollars from providing these so-called services. And, and the tragedy is that we were told this is the efficient way to go. This is the way to save money. And the tragedy is that 40 cents, 40-plus cents in every dollar which goes from the Treasury to a private organisation to provide a public service which was traditionally carried out by the public service yeah, is lost in profits and administration costs. And we see this with the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is basically a scheme which allows the private sector to plunder the resources which have been allocated to people who have disabilities who need care and the list goes on and on. So this is not a matter of an you know, finding individual and saying it's your fault. This is a matter of actually looking at the system as a whole. This is a matter of actually returning, returning the public service to its original function, which was to provide 
services to the public on behalf of the government, especially services which were not profitable. And what we've seen in Victoria, which I'm familiar with, the health system here, what we have seen is that if it wasn't profitable, people forgot about it. It's a little bit like social and preventative medicine. It's a bit like having public health officers. They stopped educating public health officers in 2011 in order to save money. There was no institutional structure in Victoria to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. So it's all very well to have this inquiry and try to point the finger at an individual and then crucify that individual or hang them, you know, from the yard arm. The reality is we, that's right, you and me, that's it, you and me, we have allowed this to occur. The majority of the population has swallowed the bait that private is good, public is bad. It's only the private sector that can provide, you know, efficient, affordable care. It's a fur fee. It's the biggest fur fee that we have had to deal with across this country. And COVID-19 has had a number of positive effects. It has, as I said before, it has raised questions about fiscal policy, about giving resources directly to individuals by government, not giving resources to the bank who then lends that money to individuals to deal with that situation. We have seen the importance of social and preventative medicine, the fact that we don't have a network via which to deal with disasters on a national basis. It has raised those issues. It has raised issues about the economy and the need for a universal basic income in order to cushion people against personal, regional and national disasters by providing them with the essentials which is required in order to survive in society. So it is raising a lot of questions. But there is huge backlash. There is a huge backlash from the corporate sector. There's a huge backlash from the corporate-owned media. There's a lesser degree of a backlash from the uh, government guild at ABC. But there is this backlash against this change in policy where we see the corporate sector, where we see that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and the 8 to 10% of Australians who benefit from this country's investment-friendly laws fighting back in order to maintain the status quo. Because what they want at the end of the day, if you listen to government policy, is business as usual. They want us to go back to 2008 where there was the great financial crisis, things went back to normal, exploitation continued, the stock market continued to rise and rise. And they want exactly the same thing, but they want more. They want their pound of flesh. They want less community services. They want more privatisation. They want a weaker trade union movement. They want a more cynical population. And that's the key. It's all about politics ultimately is about psychology, whether you believe it or not.
it's ultimately about hope. And as I said, hope is the love child, desire and expectation. Politics is about people having hope that change is possible, that change will occur. Whether you're fighting the dictator or whether you're involved in a parliamentary democracy with some limited rights, it's the same struggle. It's about hope. And cynicism is the elixir of the ruling class. Public cynicism is what helps them to continue to maintain the status quo. And if you can divide the population on, on the basis of um, gender or sexual orientation or skin colour or culture or religion, if you can divide and rule, well, then you can actually continue to have the same garbage. And this is the problem we face today, a lack, a lack of hope. I mean, I sound like some type of religious maniac, but the reality is there is a lack of trust in this country's institutions and institutions around the world. What we've seen over the last few decades is the is that lack of trust build because of how institutions have failed the people they represent, whether it's the established religions, whether it's political parties. Is that change is possible? In history, change. Sitting at home, although I suppose a lot of people are forced to sit at home currently and saying, oh, woe is me, nothing will ever change, everybody's corrupt, nothing will ever change, there's no point doing anything. Because that's what they want to hear. A docile population is a population which can easily control and push around. A population which is laden by debt is a population which is easy to control. And that's what we see, is a population laden by debt, a population laden with low expectations of their uh, political uh, leaders and the institutions in this country, a population which is willing to accept second best on a regular basis. And ultimately, we're responsible. We're responsible because we have allowed the Murdoch neurological degeneration disease to dominate this society. Now, obviously, as individuals, we do the best we can, but we haven't been able to put forward ideas which tackle that cynicism that is such a feature of everyday life in Australia. Let's move on talking about cynicism. Mining rights, Junkin Gorge. Now, if it wasn't for uh, the parliamentary inquiry into the Junkin Gorge uh, fiasco, I mean, destroying human habitation site has been inhabited for over 45,000 years. It's a little bit like uh, destroying the Houses of Parliament or destroying the major cathedrals in this country or around the world. It's just an act of un Unbelievable barbarity. Unbelievable. And the fact that it was legal 
makes it even worse. The fact that there is now a little bit of an inquiry into what happened has actually lifted the lid on mining rights. Now, a lot of people think that when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders received land rights, that they actually had rights over mining. Land rights have never given Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders the ability to determine who mines and what they mine. What it does, it gives them the ability to enter negotiations with mining companies which have got leases, mining leases and then mining contracts in order to extract mineral from the earth and negotiate some type of settlement. But it's a very unequal uh, battle. On the one hand, you've got uh, groups like Rio Tinto and Fortescue Metal Group. And on the other hand, you've got traditional, small traditional uh, groups who are pitted against these huge transnational corporations who have no legal power. And what we're currently seeing is the FMG group, the Fortescue Metals Group. Remember, Mr Fortescue likes to think of himself as some type of a philanthropist. Withholding 1.9 million in royalties, which is a pepper, which is nothing, because they want the traditional owners to agree to a new contract regarding mining leases. And let's not forget that a lot of this stuff that happened at Junk and Gorge happened because of confidentiality agreements which were incorporated into contracts with traditional owners which actually prevented them from speaking up to protect their own sacred sites. And let's not forget that just in that one particular area that over 450 sacred sites have been destroyed and continue to be destroyed. And we see the Fortescue Metal Group currently trying to turn a, a, an exploration lease in the same area into a mining lease, thinking that they can get away with it. And if it wasn't for the parliamentary inquiry, which was uh, not uh, put forward by the government but put forward by the Greens and the opposition in the Senate, we wouldn't have heard anything about this. So this so-called fact that you know Aboriginal people are getting rich from royalties is a load of garbage. I mean, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders cannot prevent mining. All they can do is enter into uh, these uh, agreements, in inverted commas, uh, with these large corporations. So let's uh, let's uh, let's let's put a little bit of reality into the discussion because that's the thing: is there's never any reality in the discussion, and that's why I'll get back to my original argument about the Murdoch Empire and the other two or three uh, large uh, media corpora legacy media corporations being so important in this country in 2012. Sorry, 2020. I'm eight years behind the time. In 2020. It's very simple because the legacy media, that's the newsprint media, continues to set the debate, the cultural debate, the political debate, the social debate. They set the debate every morning. Almost every radio station, except the Anarchist World this week, almost every government, Australian Broadcasting Corporation station, almost every television station, almost every social media network is discussing what appears in that social, what appears in the legacy media that morning. 
And if you live in Queensland, which is a one-newspaper state, you get, for generations, and I was born in that country over 60 years, in that place over 60 years ago, you get, for generations, you get the same garbage pumped into people's brains. And it's no wonder that we find ourselves in this situation in 2020 where we can't even think about tackling the issue of a climate emergency, let alone coping with a COVID-19 crisis. Look, you've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'd like to thank all those people who listened to The Anarchist World this week via their local community radio stations. There is nothing more important in 2020 than the community radio network. The ability of people around this country to use community radio to raise ideas which you will never hear about in the mainstream media and the corporate-owned and the um, government-gelded Australian Broadcasting Corporation. A few websites, if you're interested, go to pipsy.net, public interest before corporate interest, download the application form, join public interest before corporate interest. YouTube channels, public interest before corporate interest. Web pages, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org, uh, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I.net. Facebook pages, you may be interested, defend and extend public housing. Public housing, everybody's business. My own personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public. Yes, I still answer letters. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We are sending out mass letters regarding public interest before corporate interest. We're going to delay the annual general meeting on the 4th November because of travel restrictions. Once travel restrictions are lifted, the AGM will be held, but a new executive has been elected. Go to pipsy.net and you can get all that information. And if you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. The reality is that unless we start acting, unless we cut the umbilical cord to the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, unless we start thinking independently and using community radio, not just as a mechanism of talking to each other, but a mechanism to encourage other people to get involved, get involved in political action, social action, culture action. There's nothing more important than becoming involved in in things around this country. If you don't become involved, you're a mere spectator. If you're a mere spectator, you can't hope to change anything. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Keep your ears and eyes open. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.